Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is the apocalypse nerd coming to you live as much as we can from uh, Ground Zero Studios uh, for another edition of Podcast at Ground Zero number six. And joining us tonight is our usual partner in crime, uh, Adam Scott Glancy, and a special guest today we have William T. Thrasher. Hello, hello. Okay, uh, tonight's episode, we are going to talk about apocalyptic gaming. So we're going to cover things from card games, board games, uh, video games, all kinds of good stuff related to the apocalypse or post-apocalyptic or pre-apocalyptic, whatever the game may be. And, of course, I'll cover anything from nuclear to we could biological, zombies, because there's a lot of zombie games out there right now. So uh, first, I just want to have a quick... Uh, William, can you just give us a quick uh, introduction of who you... You are for our gift for our folks out there. I well, well. First, just want to say what I am. I am completely human. I am not a mutant. There are no mutants among us right now. Correct. You are not a mutant. That is correct. Okay, good. Well, so aside from that, uh, I'm a freelance uh, writer, illustrator, uh, game designer. I do an occasional uh, tenor saxophone musician. I, I do a lot of different things. Uh, you claim not to be a mutant. You claim not to be a mutant, and yet you play the tenor sax. I, I, sir, I shall prove to you that I am not a mutant by playing the tenor saxophone. <laughs> you can probably tell by my shirt, I've done a lot of work for, uh, for Skirmisher Publishing, uh, LLC. I've also done work for Fantasy Flight Games, uh, for Paizo. Uh, I'm, I've had a, a hand with, uh, I'm involved with you know, Red Brick and the revised FASA. I've got, I've got my fingers in a, in a lot of gaming pies, and it's, uh, it's really fun you know, being a part of bringing these games to life. Cool. Very good. Thank you, sir. All right, now we're going to start with our usual uh, in the news section, and i got a couple little tidbits uh, of in the news here today. The first thing I did come across is coming August 6, 2013, they are releasing a classic, A Boy and His Dog, on Blu-ray. Oh. <laughs> Because if you didn't get it on Blu-ray, you're going to miss all the subtleties of Don Johnson's performance. Oh, of course, yes. And all the, um, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but it is coming out on Blu-ray. Apparently it is a uh, remastered. They've reworked it. So we'll see. I'm just a bit of a video snob. So it's like, wow, if I could get a better quality video of a poor quality video, <laughs> then, <laughs> then I will take it, okay? Oh, dear God. It's, it's actually funny you should mention A Boy and His Dog. I just completed a piece of artwork uh, inspired by that film. Oh, very good, yes. Uh, Will is alluding to... Me and him are working on a little post-apocalyptic... Oh, let's uh, yep. go to Will here. Here it is. The Boy and His Dog. <clears throat> oh, very nice. Uh, William and I are working on a uh, post-apocalyptic uh, game based on a popular... Uh, con game. I'm not going to give any more details yet. To we're a little bit further along, but uh, we're we're getting close to uh, production on that. So Will has been uh, helping me out with that. Uh, you know, doing the artwork and you know ideas and getting it laid out. So it'll be a cool little thing. It'll be available for sale. But I'll pimp that once we get a little bit closer. Now, uh, a couple of things I did see. Also, um, some of you may or may not be aware of a. Uh, post-apocalyptic novel, uh, I think it came out in the 90s, maybe, late 80s, called, uh, maybe 88, uh, The Last Ship. I know, Scott, you're familiar with that. Yeah, I have a copy. I've read it. And uh, I, I know, I remember, you're not that fond of it, but... Uh... It, is, uh, it is a bit Melvillian <laughs> in its, uh, in its uh, 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 excruciating 
uh, detail and plotting. There's something about novels set on the ocean that because the ocean is a, well, featureless plain, except when it tries to kill you, you yeah. know, in a storm, uh, they feel that it's okay for the novel to be a featureless plain for vast quantities of time until the plot shows up. Um, well, uh, you'll be glad to know that... Um... But T I believe TNT has um, li uh, what's not the term? Not licensed, um, not sanctioned. Uh, what else? rights to it? They've, not they've, not the option? option. Thank you. Um, ten episodes for a post-apocalyptic TV show based on the last ship, produced by everybody's favorite Michael Bay. Oh, good. Uh, that that's awesome. Yeah, uh, I'm thrilled. I'm not saying the story of the story of the last ship is uh, is bad at all, but it is a phone book, and I suggest that perhaps it did not need to be a phone book. Uh, that it was a, it was in need of some editing. Yes. Um, now, on the other hand, ten episodes. Good. I, I I would hope that they uh, fill it in with more stories than they're just in the book. Exactly. Um, so but they they can do something with it. There there's some uh, there's some very cool things in the last ship. And we can expect that in 2014. Now, uh, another post-apocalyptic movie that I saw come out is called Snowpiercer. Uh, apparently, it's uh, set in the future. Uh, there is a failed experiment for global to stop global warming, and an ice age comes and kills a vast majority of the population off. Except for Good the job, science. Exactly. <laughs> Except for the inhabitants of the Snowpiercer. Basically, it's some kind of supersonic train that travels <laughs> around the globe. What? Yep. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. A supersonic train that tra travels around the globe. On what exactly? After the this ice is age? sounding like a an, an unholy hybrid between the Highwayman and Super Train. <laughs> oh Boys. my God. It's powered by a sacred pe perpetual motion machine. I'm I'm just reading to you what it says on the description of the movie. Okay. Uh -huh. wait, a minute, wait a minute. A sacred perpetual motion machine on a super train. Are you sure this wasn't written by Ayn Rand? <laughs> sacred perpetual motion. I'm sorry. Engine. Okay. Engine. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm just saying both those things turn up in Atlas Shrugged. You know, so maybe maybe this is like the objectivist's post-apocalypse novel. It, it uh, might. And, and, and her description ends with, a class system evolves on the train, uh, but a revolution uh, brews. So. Uh, it's, uh, it's the objectivists. Yeah. <laughs> it's the objectivists again. God damn it. So I just everything, including the apocalypse. Yes. So I just thought that was an interesting bit, like, wow, uh, post-apocalypse on a train. So I've never seen that before. So <laughs> <laughs> wasn't there a British? Wasn't there a British uh, TV series that begins with some people on a train that is caught in a tunnel, and the apocalypse happens at both ends of the tunnel collapse, and they miss the fallout and everything because they're trapped on this train in a tunnel, and then dig their way out. 
Uh, I don't know if that there's if there's a, a British show like that, but there is a uh, Japanese comic book called Dragon Head where that happens. A bullet train gets caught in a tunnel during some sort of disaster. I'm three volumes in; they still haven't revealed exactly what that disaster is. But like three students are the only people to survive the crash, and they eventually dig their way out and are trying to get back to their homes in this. Now, is, it, is it anime or is it manga? Uh, it's it's manga. There may be an anime version, but I've only I'm only familiar with the manga. I, I have to ask this question, William. Mm-hmm. How much upskirt is there? Actually, uh, looking back at it, I don't, I don't think there's any. It's actually it's oh, very oh, thank very god. Oh, that's awesome then. I you know the one thing that always puts me off is these the weird Japanese finish with white cotton undies that we have to put up with. In yeah, it's every very serious. goddamn story. Uh, good, good. It's very serious. There is there is one pervert character, but it's not played for comedic effect. He is oh, very quickly established as a villain and uh, is an antagonist that has to be confronted. Okay, good, good to hear. And uh, the last bit of uh, in the news is actually related to our topic of post-apocalyptic gaming. If those of you who were not aware, tomorrow releases. Metro Last Light, the sequel to the video game Metro 2033. A beautiful game. A game that is absolutely just gorgeous to look at, even if it is a bit of a railroad. It is uh, a, well, it is in a subway system, so ha! Yeah, but, ha. Uh, <laughs> but it's still a gorgeous, an absolutely gorgeous post-apocalyptic game. It looks Love great. Game. And, and we've, mentioned you know it, we've mentioned it before on the show because we talked about currency. And we talked about bullets, you know, being the currency. Yeah. So, uh, my yeah. copy is arriving from Amazon tomorrow. So, uh, I'll definitely uh, get to try to get a little of that in and maybe report about it a little bit next week. But yeah, I love that series. This this thing is a very good game. I've read the novel that it was based off of. I actually like the story, the direction of the story, better in the video game than the actual than the actual novel. The uh, I'm just happy with any Russian or any foreign apocalypse we can get our hands on because it's a uh, yeah sure it's a it's a very lively literary you know uh, genre here in the English speaking world we got plenty of British apocalypse we got plenty of American apocalypse but damn it is tough to get apocalypse from overseas yeah any, any anytime we get some you know whatever little little scraps we can get are are great. Exactly. We don't get uh, we don't get much of it. So, so that's coming subject, out tomorrow. Subject for another show. Moving oh, along. Moving along. Okay. Now we're going to talk about uh, apocalyptic gaming. Now again, it, it could you know we could be talking about board games, video games, you name it. Now I know the answer to this, and I know Scott knows the answer to this because I told him. Um, unless he's unless he. <laughs> hey, I know. Thank you. Unless he found something uh, older. I don't know, William. Do you know the oldest apocalyptic game out there? Uh, the least that I know of. I, I probably I couldn't name it, but I bet it's going to turn out to be something by H.G. Wells. Um, hey, that dirty bastard did make a lot of uh, games. Yep. When nobody was looking, he made a lot of games. But hmm. I, that is not correct. He made a bunch of uh, miniatures games. What was it called? Uh, a little war. And yeah, little uh, wars. there's little little wars and floor games. I think are the the two he's most known for. Now, uh, what I found, and again, I could be wrong, uh, but as far as I know, the oldest uh, apoc- uh, you know apocalyptic game out there was Nuclear War. That uh, the card game 
which is now uh, printed by Flying Buffalo and our friend Rick Loomis. Uh, that originally came was printed the first copy in 1965. Let's see if I can make that go. Uh, can we see that? No, it's a terrible. Oh, it's a terrible image. That's a terrible. Oh, that's yeah. a, and that's a later later editions. I remember I've seen the original ones. It's a much smaller box. And that was uh, done by Douglas uh, Malwicky, I believe his name is. Uh, again, I've said this a hundred times. Terrible with names. So, yeah. If you're listening, I'm sorry. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're not sorry. You're listening. We want you to listen. I'm sorry that we're ma mastering of names. So, uh, for those of you who may or may not know, Nuclear War is just a simple uh, card game. That's it's basically you're all the countries fighting against each other to try to. Is is you know, that the original box? Uh, that might that. Let me highlight that. That that might be I don't know. Um, Just pulling out images out of Google. That could be. Now, it's as simple. You play the different countries. You start off in a peaceful phase, and then you uh, uh, tr you know you go to war. And the you know the point is you know nobody usually wins because usually everybody annihilates each other. <laughs> and and it's a game that's like a it's a, a conveyor belt system of you know placing cards and revealing missile systems and warheads and. Or peace cards and playing stuff. So I mean, it's a simple, it's a fun game. I usually I play the tournament every year at Gen Con uh, that Rick runs. So as far as I know, that's one of the old, that's the oldest post-apocalyptic game. Again, I could be wrong. If somebody could tell me any different, uh, please do. So uh, you know, that's our fans out there, because I'm sure the internet trolls will tell me I'm wrong. So I, I, I will have to throw this up. I don't know if anyone can read this very well, but that's the spinner from the original game. Uh, the very first game had a spinner to determine uh, how. How, how whether or not your your bomb did more effects? It was a dud warhead, um, and I believe, if I remember correctly, if you use the hundred megaton weapon and you get the um, there was an effect that's like uh, triple the yield. Uh, oh yes, that's it. Explodes nuclear stockpile, triple the yield. The result in the game was, of course, that um, you destroyed the planet. <laughs> and you can, you can actually kill everybody completely. Um, everybody loses. So. There's a number of options in Nuclear War where it was all about killing everybody, like like Zippy, the super virus. Yeah. Which would keep killing people even after the country that released it is gone. It would just keep <laughs> the virus just keeps orbiting the board until everybody's dead. Just, again, awesome. Now, uh, one of the other earlier uh, games that I've encountered, I actually have a hold of. It's another, uh, it's another board game put up by the uh, long defunct SPI Games. They did a lot. They did a lot of war games back in the '70s and early '80s. There was uh, the probably the first zombie game, the Dawn of the Dead board uh, a game by SPI. Oh yes, the one of them all. Yes, yeah, so when it took place in the mall, so I got a copy. Uh, I have my own copy of it here. It was shrink wrapped, but of course I had to open it and look at it because you know, <laughs> I'm I'm just like that. I don't care about you know. I've uh, you know released a lot of my uh, collecting bug out into the universe, so I'm like whatever. I just you know if I own it, I want to touch it and look at it. So you know. <laughs> so uh, we got the SPI and another uh, board. I'm kind of talking about some board games first. Uh, <laughs> This is because it's you know some things I have. Now, I know Scott remembers William. Do you remember Uquinto uh, uh, Games? They were called album games. They came out in the seventies and early eighties. 
You know, I th they're they're sadly they're they're probably a bit before my time. I don't think I've heard of them before. Uh, your Quinto games, they, they're called album games because basically they were set up like a like an album. You know, vinyl yeah, vinyl records. You know, so oh, yeah. So there was one called Attack of the Mutants. Now. Uh, this game, you know, it's like you're basically, you know, there's this devastated planet, you're the scientist, and you're making this, you know, robot, and uh, and you're defending, you know, this board here, and you're preventing the mutants. It's kind of just like a defender game, like, you build your defenses and you defend against it, you know. Um, I remember the game because there was advertisements <laughs> all over the place for this game in com back of comic books in the 80s. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, that's Ooh. where I remember seeing it uh, for the first time is maybe in the back of, uh, you know, Famous Monsters of Filmland, or maybe it was in the back of, uh, like, um, Starlog or something like that is where I first saw it, along with, along with um, Cosmic Encounter. Yeah, advertisements for that. And, yeah. like, Attack of the Mutants, it was very enticing. It was, like, this yellow cover... Uh, this page, and there was a, a little bar up top with an image, and it showed like this robot, like little, like this cheap ass looking robot with an M16, and there's just bullets flying out of it. There's a scientist there with a slide roller looking at something, and there's like the, the heroine running up towards the scientist, and you know, the army guy running behind him, and there's like this all these mutants walking down the hallway, you know. So, you know, as a 13 year old child, I found it very intriguing. Well, yeah. looking at one of the box covers, and, and yeah, it's like it, it, it's like right out of an of an AIP movie poster. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that's when I never owned it. Mr. Wallace's copy remains unpunched. We are sort of hesitant to bust its cherry to play it because it is so gorgeous. Uh, but but, but I was to. but actually they have it on Vassal. So I'll think about it. maybe oh. we should maybe we should get a game of uh, get, uh, learn how to use Vassal, get it installed, and play it on Vassal. <laughs> I got no objections to this plan. I have no objections to this plan whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, another board game. Um, anybody jump at any time if you guys are better. Uh, another okay. game that I've actually, uh, you know, I don't mean to dominate, but it's just, I just have some things, uh, interesting things I put out. There was a game that came out in 1986 by Milton Bradley, and I've actually played this because a friend of mine actually had a copy of it. Thunder Road. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, the Mad Max cash-in. The Mad Max cash-in. It was too long that. Let me see if I can find that, an image of that online. That Because that, I remember the cover. Uh, BoardGameGeek.com's got a couple. Yeah, there you go. He's got this long board, uh, you know, these two boards, these rows that you keep on leapfrogging, and you have these vehicles and these little helicopters, and you're just basically trying to knock each other off the, off the map. <laughs> It's very, very simple, very, you know, 12 and under type of game, but you know what? Damn it, I had to play it. <laughs> Just to say I've played it. I, uh, I never, now that one actually came with actual cars, not just like board game pieces. Oh, like actual little plastic cars and a little plastic uh, gyrocopter guy, you know? <laughs> Which, speaking of that, I was just actually playing on my Xbox this weekend uh, Spy Hunter 2. All right, here, here, nice. here, we, here we go. Check this out in the screen share department. This is actually quite sexy. All right. Show it to us. Show us how sexy it is. There you go. There's the map, and you just keep putting the map down in front of the map, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. You just keep laying the, the, the pieces. It goes along, 
And yes, they have, I guess, three or four types of cars and different color patterns. And yes, that's that's Thunder Road. Yes. Very, you know, definitely a, you know, young game, but hell, like I said, I had to play it because I had to play it. But I was saying was about uh, Spy, Spy Hunter 2, the arcade game. It was Mad Max because there was a guy in a gyrocopter, Wes on a motorcycle, and and uh, other like cars trying to run you off the road. Cause I, I didn't realize this because I was playing it, and I'm like, oh my god, they it wasn't like the original one, which was like supposed to be a spy with the cars. It's like this is Mad Max, <laughs> the game. Let's see if I can uh, pull up. Uh, I think this is an early edition of Thunder Road. Uh, of the box from Thunder Road, but um, that that was the Amer that was the American edition. The uh, the European edition actually has a guy with like goggles on uh, that, that was put on the UK. So. Yeah, okay. I, I was I was kind of hoping it was the you know it was the original. Oh no, I'm doing a terrible job. Running, yeah. Running this, but know, oh well. Looking actually, I'm, I'm looking at some uh, some promotional. I'm not sure if this is promotional art or, or the back of the box, but it, it's got this photo of these four kids playing the game, and they could not be the four most clean cut. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing but apocalyptic not, about them. Yeah, they, they, these kids are not mutants. I think <laughs> not at all. They're those kids right there. Oh, we're having such a good time. Killing everyone. They're, they're so clean. They're so clean in eighties looking. So look up the board, Tommy. <laughs> Let's play Thunder Road. <laughs> so oh, okay. here's the oil tanker. So yeah. So these are just some of the board games I've encountered. I mean, there's a slew. As we all know, there's a you know there's a slew of games out there. Mostly, <laughs> it's very zombie heavy now. Uh, board games, you know, for apocalyptic games. You know, you got like Zompocalypse, and you've had zombies out since two thousand one. Uh, there's there's just a lot of them out there. Well, you you go you go to Board Game Geek like you suggested, and you're gonna find a whole pile of crap that maybe you didn't need that's 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 new, plus some a, a ton of older stuff. If you're gonna do some of these games where there's there's plenty of the old punched uh, cardboard you know counter games from SPI where it's you know Objective Moscow or Invasion uh, America. Uh, which eventually, and, and then you know, um, uh, they also did what was it, Fortress America? Who was Fortress America? Fortress Milton America Bradley. was Milton Bradley, but the SPI version was like uh, you know, Invasion America, I think it was, or maybe it was Invasion USA. Um, there were uh, uh, a lot of these sort of uh, games from the '70s and early '80s that were World War Three, that were you know, um, uh, you know, full to gap sort of uh, you know, confrontation in Europe, but they weren't necessarily apocalyptic in that they were, you know, com modern combat games of uh, of the of the Reds versus the Free World. You know, that was the basic deal just about every time that I can remember. Yeah. Um, there's, so there's not a lot of really apocalyptic stuff. Um, I got one image here I'm going to share uh, for this game called World War Three. I, rem I, I remember that. I remember seeing okay. that. World War Three. Yeah, and it was mostly a game of. It really was sort of a game of. of I've been of, of uh, trying to overrun the other players. Uh, kind of uh, like a like like supremacy or something, you know? Yeah, uh, trying to overrun the other players' uh, uh, means of production. Now, I will note that um, I was poking around trying to find some more information about it, and somebody said that the original rule book had a suggestion that if um, 
at any point during the game, players finally reach for their nuclear weapons to, you know, break a stalemate, that the players should merely douse the, the, the map with kerosene and set it on fire. You know, I think, I, I believe that was referenced in an issue of Murphy's Rules. I've heard that before. Yeah, just set the fucker on fire because that's what you're going to get. And I thought, all right, that's that's worth a mention. Now, there was another, uh, maybe some somebody else out there in La La Land can help me, but there was another sort of Avalon Hill bookcase game style, big, serious uh, nuclear war game, I remember as a kid. And I my parents got it for me. I don't know why. It was way too complex for uh, maybe a 10-year-old, you know. Um, these are the same people who got me like uh, – uh, there was a board game from Avalon Hill or SBI called, you know, like the Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Huge, world-girding game. And as a kid, I'm like, I don't know. you know, thanks, Mom, I guess. Um, but, well, at least, uh, at, least they, they, at least they were thinking about you and they and they knew who you were. That's least. true. <laughs> Even if I was too dumb for the games they got, it's not like they got me a copy of Mousetrap or Clue or something, you know. I love um, Clue. <laughs> It's it's the uh, only game where the murderer can win by proving that they committed the murder. <laughs> <laughs> so there was another uh, nuclear war game, and the reason it really stood out for me is that um, it, it was this game of nuclear confrontation in the United States and the Soviet Union. It was a board game. It had a very abstracted map because it was just about, you know, there are like a box for bombers in transit and another map for, you know, submarines prepared to launch. And then you had all these targets in the United States and Russia that could take hits. Uh, but what really sort of I remember about it was is that the game was set up so you could play it in different periods. You could play it as the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1962, where, you know, the Soviets just get plastered. And you could play it uh, in... Um, like 1973, uh, you know, the Arab-Israeli war gets out of control in 73, and you have another nuclear option. And then you've got the, you know, then you go up to 80s, you know, the, you know, the 80s, and you can play it in different time periods, which are like there's a 68 one for, you know, Vietnam gets out of control. And so um, there were different time periods you could play it in, and in each time period, uh, the game would have you select different weapon systems and different, you know, capacities for both sides. Uh, and that kind of stood out for me as a rule mechanic that I really liked because it, it 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 meant that the thing could evolve over time. You didn't have just one scenario. It's the modern age, the 80s or the 70s, whenever it was made. You could actually play, you know, nuclear scenarios that were antiques, again, like, like Cuba. And if anybody uh, knows what Scott's talking about and knows the name of it, send it our way so we'll Please. pass along to Scott. So, Did, did they have any, like, near-future scenarios or? Uh, not that I remember in the game. I don't. I mean, if you want a near future, you played Objective Moscow or, you know, Invasion uh, America, I guess. Um, there's but, uh, also uh, there's also some uh, board games out there on Board Game Geek. I just saw there's a World War Four out there, which is a very heavy miniatures, very heavy plastic piece game where you play the, the nations that have risen up after the nuclear war fighting for supremacy of the world. And it is very... Apocalyptic because while your country is spreading out on the map, you're running over mutants and raiders and you know scavengers and things like that while you're creating your mm. empire. Nice. Well, let's talk uh, about some more uh, again uh, paper and pencil gaming as opposed to digital. You know, uh, analog as opposed to digital gaming, as uh, as I like to call it. Is uh, let's talk a little about uh, RPGs, role playing games. Mm. Um, what's now, the what's, what's the granddaddy 
you know, what's the grant? Well, actually, here, I'm going to be a dick and show. Ta-da! There's my screen sh share for uh, Fourth World War. Uh, again, covered in mutants and ruins and looking, you know, I think I did that. Did it work? Yeah, yeah it, it, it showed. All right, well, let's Now, uh, the you know, granddaddy of all, uh, uh, well, I think the, the first, I don't know why I am a... Can anybody? Yeah. Can you even see me at this point? Yeah, I can. You're you're coming through fine on my end. Are you uh, getting some lag or some freeze? Yeah, I'm getting a little. Uh, I'm I'm seeing my symbol, my placeholder, which is a uh, kind of unusual. But uh, hmm. oh, there we go. Okay, is uh, the as far as I know, the first RPG that was apocalyptic is uh, was put out by TSR in 1976. Anybody? Gamma World. Oh, no, 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 oh, no, Oh, you sir. tricked me. Metamorphosis Alpha. <laughs> William, you lose. But, uh, you know, Metamorphosis Alpha, 1976, the June of 76, the precursor to Gamma World, which came out in 1978. Yeah. Now, uh, for those who might not know Metamorphosis Alpha, and I want to talk about those games because that kind of springboards, because the games that you were working on with uh, Skirmisher for Mutant Future, which is a modern, uh, a more contemporary, uh, it's a contemporary uh, post-apocalyptic game, which is basically one of those throwback games, which goes back to the simpler mechanics that, like, Gamrold originally had. Now, Metamorphosis Alpha, just in brief, uh, is apocalyptic. Again, it's an isolated apocalypse, because uh, the Metamorphosis Alpha was a generation ship that... Uh, Went went too long. People died, and uh, just a whole different population of mutations uh, grew up on, grew on the ship. So it's yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a contained world, you know. Yeah, heavily influenced by uh, Robert Heinlein's Orphans of the Sky, or or uh, Orphans of the Sky, and oh God, what are the other two books? I can't remember. Um, That's the one I always remember as 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 being the big post apocalyptic. Um, uh, uh, well. The, the the generation ship that now the inhabitants think that the generation ship is the world, is all yeah. that there is. Well, there's also, um, what's his name? Uh, El Harlan Ellison did one as well about a generation oh. ship. Uh, Phoenix Without Ashes, which was also, uh, I think it was Star Lost, was the television series based on that premise. I remember Star Lost with Cure Delay, right? Yep. Oh, boy, yeah. You Where can the Amish it. guy finds out his whole world is just one small part of a spaceship. Yeah, I, I you can spot some um, you can spot some uh, uh, videos, some clips of Star Lost on YouTube, uh, including like the opening sequence with the the generation ship with all the domes. Yeah, like, like the domes out of um, Silent Running, with the little forests or communities in each dome. Yeah. At one point, the whole series was on YouTube. I have that was like three years ago. Uh, I it's, it's uh, probably been pulled by now. I I, I think that. May Maybe one of the few places you could have seen it. I, I've never seen it at, at our, you know, you know, wild and crazy scarecrow video up here in Seattle, which has everything on DVD or VHS, or even better, mm -hmm. foreign format VHS that they'll rent you the player so you can you can watch it. Nice. Yeah, I've never seen Star Lost on there, uh, but I remember it. You know, reading about it in Starlog magazine back in the uh, the what early eighties. Yeah. 
So that was Metamorphosis Alpha, which kind of started the whole thing, which was done by James Ward. And then he came out with Gamworld, which, which was... Which is why the, it was the Star Starship Warden. Exactly. He named the Starship yeah. after himself. Then he came out with Gamworld. Uh, first edition came out in 78, which to this day, again, Gamworld, my favorite game. I say it a million times. Again, we're going to dedicate a whole show just to Gamworld. It's a, it's a game that does not die. It's like every five years or so, a new edition comes out. I've got the Alternity Edition right here. That was, uh, I think that came out in 99, I want to say. I think you're right. I'm checking the uh, publisher's information right now. Or is it 98. They don't have a copyright notice in the beginning oh, of this oh, thing. Nice. Oh, Cliff, they oh, forgot to copyright. Oh, it's 2000. Oh, 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 I was... Off by decades. This might have been the last alternative product, now that I think about it. I think it was, and I think that's why they're like, they came out with it on alternative, because that was... That is the fourth iteration of the game. There was... Uh, Another iteration that came out in the second edition came out in 80. The third edition came out in 1985. 1990 saw the fourth edition. Alternative was the fifth edition. Sixth edition came out in about 2003 or four by... Uh, White Wolf? White Wolf uh, on the their Sword of Sorcery uh, offshoot. And then, of course, and, the... And say what you like about the White Wolf edition. It may, Compared to the next edition, it does look... Like a work of genius. Oh yeah, the 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 the, the edition that's based off the fourth edition rules is just a steaming pile of mutant poop. Okay, I just can't. I just <laughs> I just can't. I I can't rant enough about how much I dislike it, and I won't it's do that right now. Poop. It's hoop poop. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> it is hoop poop. So Gamworld's you know been uh, prevalent throughout you know all the years, and you know there's been a lot of there was a lot of other games, especially in the '80s, which was the the heyday, I think, the heyday of role-playing games. There were so many companies, so many role-playing games out there. Because it was back when, before they said, there has to, well, except for Steve Jackson came out with GURPS. But I think in the, I think in the 2000s, uh, we, came, we came up with this, this whole thing. Everybody's like, oh, we've got to have a universal system, and every game is going to fit into, the, into this one system, which is, which is bullshit. Different games, different genres fit work differently with different rule sets. That's why there was different rule sets. Now, some of them are good, some of them are bad. But in the 80s, you, you, every game had basically had its own rules. Now, we had a lot of games uh, that came out. You had, well, we had the Morrow Project, which came out in 80. You had the Aftermath, which, Aftermath, which came out in 1981. You know? Oh, gee, did you ever uh, read any of Mutant Chronicles? No, not familiar with that one. Which, it, it was a, it, it started Started as a uh, European uh, role-playing game, it was brought it was brought over to America. There, it's 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 been several iterations. I think I think there's like a new version that's being kickstarted right now. Uh, Mutant Mutant Chronicles. There was an apocalypse on Earth, and all these mega corporations fled the Earth and then nuked the Earth as they left to make sure nice. nothing would follow them. And then colonized the solar system, and then another apocalypse happened solar system wide as these things got released. And so they had to rebuild themselves again, and now another apocalyptic age is starting. So you're like three apocalypses in. But the thing is, despite the fact that despite the fact that mutant is in the title and it takes place after several apocalypses, there are no mutants in the game. Oh, thanks. False, false fucking advertising. Well, it's not entirely because it has a complicated publishing system. It was originally a supplement of a post-apocalyptic role-playing game called, like, the Mutant World. 
but it just used the mutant world rules, but it was a space opera setting. And for whatever reason, the mutant name stuck to it when it was translated into English. <laughs> they made a movie out of it, too. They made a, oh, yeah. a, a very, very bad Unlike that movie, like has like two things out of the out of the game source material, and the rest is just action movie bullcrap yeah. with Ron Perlman. With Ron oh, Perlman and and um, James Purefoy. No, not James Purefoy. Thomas Jane. Mm. That poor bastard. It's not not a good movie. Now, unlike uh, the game which came out in nineteen eighty nine called Mutazoids, which actually has mutants in it. I don't know if you know that. A very small publishing house, but it's a game called Mutazoids. Uh, the tagline is it it's the year it's it is the year. It says it it is the year twenty seventy three. Six years after the world was swept by an accidental release of the man made plague virus. <laughs> Society's collapse was a brief one Brief because the survivors remember the luxuries of the early 21st century and want them back. <laughs> so, it's this game where it's like it's you know there's mutants in the wild. There's a dystopian city. I never play. I mean, I got a, I got I got all the stuff for it because I collect uh, post-apocalyptic RPGs, but uh, it doesn't look very uh, doesn't look like a very good game. But I had to, I had to collect it anyway. Then of course there's uh, Wizards, which came out in 1992, based off. The movie there was a Wizards RPG. Really? Yes. There. Uh, you didn't know this that there's a Wizards RPG based off no. of Ralph Bochke's Wizards movie, 1977. No, no and I'm shocked because I love that movie, uh, which which you know I, is available on Blu-ray, by the way. But yes, uh, yes because you really want to you really want to need that Blu-ray so you can see all the ways that Ralph Bakshi just colored over cells from the movie Battle of the Bulls to put, you know, glowing eyes on his Nazis. Of course, but it worked, kind of. No, that part didn't. I'm going to go and make a stand here and say that Necron 99, Necron 99 works just fine. I have no gripes with Necron 99. Um, on the other hand, some of the other shitty animation is, is shitty animation. It's the rotoscope stuff that annoys me. Mm. Where he'd like, you know, throw in scenes from Alexander Nevsky, or again, yep. uh, Patton, or whatever, and we'd have to suffer through that shit. Uh, what about that one? Uh, that one mutant soldier that has the disco ball shield. Nice. I, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> all, all I know is, all I know is, Scott, you're a hater. Okay, that's all I gotta say. How dare you hate on on wizards? <laughs> but uh, let's but see if yeah. I can fi- let's see if I can fix this. No man, but, I. But that's... yeah, there was a, there was a role playing game came out in 1992. There was actually five or six things produced by it. I actually I got in the game closet. I just I didn't I didn't I didn't have a chance to drag my entire collection of apocalyptic gaming out, which we'll do in the future. But yeah, Wizards 1992, and of course, um, uh, when did Twilight 2000 come out? Uh, Twilight, I Twilight, s- Twilight 2000 is like 86. Um, 80? No, uh, I'd have to go. I'd have to go look. It was. I was I had just hit college, so it's probably eighty four to eighty five, somewhere in that range. Um, which we know, which we know is again, one of Scott's if, favorites. If only we had, you know, a device with which we could look these things up on the, you know, in a in a format that we could look at on our computers. Well, I just I just like going off the cuff and you know seeing if we could remember seeing if we could remember stuff. But uh, that that's fine. I was just trying to I was trying to get up a, a get an image of Necron ninety nine because you know Necron well, Twilight, uh, and, and Twilight and Twilight two thousand. You know, again, um, 
What was what was the closing line of the introduction on the back? Oh, the closing line was you know was good luck. You're on your own. You're on your own. <laughs> where where your 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 ragtag NATO division has finally been overrun by the Reds, and the last sounds you hear on the radio before you know all you hear are Russian and Polish voices on the other side of the line is good luck, men. You're on your own, and that's that's it. Um, yeah, well, uh, well, well. Again, we could probably we're probably gonna de- we could probably dedicate a whole show whole to day, Twilight 2000 as well. Whole day Twilight Frank's not here. Yeah, we gotta get we'll get Frank on there. Frank Fry Frank wrote a bunch of stuff for it back in the eighties. He wrote uh, Small Arms Guide. He wrote uh, some material in the RDF source book. He wrote a scenario set in a Loran called King's Ransom, and he wrote the Black Madonna, which is one of my favorite scenarios uh, for Twilight 2000. Um, they're all really just first rate. They're all well. Frank got one thing wrong. I always love teasing him about it. In their alternate history that they're writing in the '80s, right? It's mm-hmm. the Iran-Iraq wars going on, and Frank and many other people at GDW looked at this and went, "There's no way the Ayatollahs are going to be able to survive this." I mean, they sent the flower <laughs> of their youth off to die in piles in front of the Iraqi lines, you know, like like it's World War One all over again, and they're getting gassed and they're getting mowed down in human wave attacks. You know, obviously the mullahs will have to go back and to the mosque, and some other form of of government will rise up in Iran that's less crazy. And Frank was wrong on that one. I mean, all all those piles of corpses did was make the Iranians even fucking crazier, frankly. So sorry about that, Frank. You're almost there, but not, not quite. quite. Now, uh, so that's you know that's all some of the classic ones. I mean, there's you know. Uh, there's some, you know, there's a lot of different modern ones out there. I mean, there's, like I said, there's the Mutant Future, which I know Will does. You do, you do work on that one mm-hmm. a little bit, right? Well, I do, I do the uh, the technical editing. Oh, okay. So you're, you know, you're not like uh, Chris uh, Van Dieland, who's been on the show before, does a lot of the uh, some of the source material writing. So you're just the uh, you're the guy behind the scenes on that. Yeah, I'm mainly, I'm you know, I'm making sure everything is is clean, concise, conforms to whatever else we've got published, looks good on the page, so that uh, and, and that when it get tur- gets turned into a PDF, it's going to be the best function. Hmm. So yeah, so they do, uh, you know, they they do uh, Skirmisher does, uh, you know, they have like the Wasteland Weekly or is it Wisdom of the Wasteland, which comes out weekly, which is you know, again, it's throwback uh, a game. You can fit you can fit the stuff into almost any. Uh, role-playing game, you know, uh, you know, Gamma World. It's very Gamma World style, so very kind of old school. So I'm very in favor of that. We're, we're like, forgetting, we're forgetting two games that need oh. to be mentioned because oh, they're early '80s games. We completely have forgotten about. Let's see here. Uh, we completely forgot about uh, Fantasy Games uh, Unlimited's Aftermath. I mentioned Aftermath, uh, 1981. Yeah, uh, we talked about it. I'm sorry, I only caught that you talked about it beforehand. So there's some refuse to die in the aftermath, and aftermath is, uh, you know, was way over complex, like many of super games. Yeah, super over complex. I had the game as a 13 year old kid. I'm like, okay, I figured out how to make characters. Yeah. And that's about it. Is that, that is that the one it. where there's like a manual for making your character, then like yes. a manual for combat, then a manual for weapons, and they're all yeah. like cross reference with each other? Book yeah. one, two, and three. Yes, sir. Yes, I have sir. heard about that. 
<clears throat> after aftermath was way overcomplicated. But you know, if, if fantasy games unlimited had that problem with Bushido, the other guys who made Bushido, space opera, fact, space opera. In fact, oh yeah, here we go. Here's actually a fucking image of the three the three different books. You know, all laid out. You know, there with the the box set and then the uh, the little tiny um, the little tiny adventure book and then these three different books. Basic rules. Oh yeah, it was it was a lot. So, but they really had really sexy ads that were in Dragon Magazine, which made me want to yes, buy it. Yes, they did. So, yes, they did. But and they that was what they specialized in was sexy ads. I mean, uh, I bought yeah, I bought Aftermath as a kid. I bought um, you know uh, uh, Daredevils, which was their their pulp adventure game when Indiana Jones was was first hitting it big, and uh, I guess it was '82. Yeah, I bought that too. But the games were sort of like daunting in their in their complexity, but as daunting as Aftermath was, uh, nothing was more daunting than Morrow Project. Which, again, uh, I mentioned that before 1980, so the Morrow Project, which uh, they had a Kickstarter to uh, release their fourth edition recently. Yeah. So. so the Morrow Project, uh, you know, it, again, was sort of, I don't know, it, it developed a reputation in the 80s of, of being the game that if you wanted to consult eight different tables to resolve one gunshot wound, that was the game for you. That was the game you wanted to be playing because they will—they have a table for everything, you know. Um, it's uh, and and the thing is though, with Morrow Project, uh, Morrow Project to me was always more compelling than Aftermath. Aftermath was a very there, I don't remember if any two books for Aftermath use the same apocalypse. Nope. Like, you're, you're, you're down in uh, the ruins of Sydney has a different apocalypse than... Chicago, Sydney, uh, Littleton, Arizona. It, it's, yeah. it's, everything is different. 10 years, 20 years, 100 years. Every, every scenario was different. Yeah. Well, it, was, it was very open. Yeah. Here are some setting ideas. Make your own world. That's yeah. kind of that was their approach. Yeah, no, there's no canon in it whatsoever. Meanwhile, over at uh, Morrow Project, um, say what you like about them. The one thing they did have was kind of a compelling story. Yeah. Uh, even if they, even if they screwed, you know, even if the rules were mucked up, uh, their, you know, I always thought that their story was their basic idea that this was this project designed to. Uh, save humanity from the upcoming nuclear war, a private project, not a government project, uh, and uh, that it has gone snafu, and you are then found, you know, you're looking for prime base. This, this, this Shangri-La, you and the other teams. That really worked for me for some reason. And that and it was set, uh, you know, it was set 200 years after the apocalypse, so you've got... Uh, one, actually, I think it was 150. But it's, it's more than a century afterwards. Oh, yeah. So you've got this sort of um, everything. Like, everything. Everything is devolved enough. Everything is uh, kind of rebuilt again. So where it's kind of like, well, you're going to help rebuild, but you know what? It's already kind of rebuilt itself. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, is what has what has come up in its place. You know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that Morrow Project was very compelling. Not the least of which because one thing Morrow Project always seemed to have a lot of. They had some. They 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 liked the Landmaster. Did you notice hmm. that? The Landmaster from uh, from uh, Damnation Alley. Damnation yeah, Alley. Yes. There's yeah. a couple of vehicles that turn up in their vehicle handbook very early on that are like, 
either the landmaster just completely cribbed right out, or it's the landmaster on steroids. Um, Mario Project liked the idea of tooling around the wasteland in a big, big honking vehicle, kind of like the um, the war wags from uh, from Deathlands or the landmaster from Damnation Alley. Okay. That seemed to yep. really appeal to them. Well, well, I'm looking well, up. Well, I found some information here. I don't know if, if you guys can verify this, but I'm finding a website that claims that the first and second edition of the Morrow Project were released the same year. Huh. That's that's possible. That wouldn't be impossible considering... Is it, is it, the, uh, is it the Supply Bunker uh, doc, this website? Uh, act, actually, no, this is Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Well, okay. there's 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 a pretty good Morrow Project site called the, the, the Supply Bunker, which has full details about the game and the history and, you know, all the, uh, you know, like fan-made stuff. But uh, yeah. moving off, off of RPGs, we're getting close to the top of the hour, so we're, uh, we're run, kind of running a little short on time. I don't want to uh, go too much more than an hour. Um, electronic gaming, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, as far as I know, the first, uh, well, technically, the first, uh, well, I guess the first uh, role-playing Post-apocalyptic game could have been really, you know, like, uh, or Wasteland was the biggest one. I think Wasteland is the one that I, I always remember. Yeah, Unless Wasteland. there were some, there was some uh, text-based adventures. I don't remember. Wasteland was the very, very first. Or technically, could we say uh, Missile Command was an apocalyptic game? I wow. <laughs> well, it depends on whether or not you lost. Yeah. You always lose at Missile Command. Let's yeah. be honest. There's, and no matter how well you do, they just throw more missiles at you until you lose. So maybe, maybe. Uh, uh, but again, Wasteland, which was the precursor to uh, everybody says the precursor to the Fallout series. It is. It's the the guys who designed Wasteland didn't have the rights to Wasteland. So when they wanted to make another Apocalypse game, they made Fallout One and Fallout Two. Mm -hmm. And then you now know, they've three and, they've, and well, Vegas. Uh, we don't need to get into too much detail about Fallout because if you don't know Fallout in the series by now and being a gamer, then you know what you've you've been living in a closet. So I, I will. I, I'm going to make a shout out that uh, one of my favorite things I ever did with Fallout was give it to my brother. Oh yeah. And then have the marvelous experience of getting to relive the game vicariously through him running into shit and going, "Holy crap! This game just doesn't end. There's just another. There's another quest." There's another location. And that was another... uh, that was three, right? Three, and I just get he just got uh, New Vegas for his birthday, and he's already he's already learned that the Legion are dickbags. So yeah. <laughs> now, uh, but speaking of Mad Max, did you know that for Super NES there was a Mad Max game that came out in 1990? Oh, I believe I remember that. Now, and um, wow, yeah, and let me. Uh, let me read you the descriptor for that one. The object is to survive life after the end of the world by battling survivalists and collecting valuable food, water, gasoline, and money in order to continue racing into the desert wasteland that lies beyond. <laughs> so it's just pointless. It's pointless. It's, it's utterly... It's the road never ends. Battle after battle after battle, arena, arena, to get more shit to keep on going to the next battle. So... Um, there, was also, there was also a Twilight 2000 computer game. Yes, yes, there was. Uh, the Black Baron of Warsaw that um, uh, always stood out um, primarily because the mechanics of the game were such that if you wanted your, your characters, you could design characters like a team of like 
I don't know, you can only take out a certain number of people at a time on a mission. Uh, maybe it was like four. But you could have a pool of a bunch of characters, you know, to draw from. It became very, very obvious very fast that if you wanted a character to do anything, they could only have one skill. If the game had like, like 10 skills, but if you spread the points out, you know, a little mechanics, a little rifle, he'd never be able to succeed at anything. So you just had to have these idiot savant characters who could only do one thing well. Nice. For every mission. Now, uh, yeah, and there's a lot of other, again, a lot of them, there's a lot of uh, apocalyptic gaming out, a lot of zombie games out, because zombie, zombie, oh, zombies, zombies, yeah. zombies have become the flavor of the month, or you know, flavor of the decade. So there's, you know, Left 4 Dead, uh, Riptide, uh, you know, Dead Island. There's there's a ton of those, you know, zombie games out there. So again, which are poc- apocalyptic. Um, well, another, just real quick here, another post-apocalyptic role-playing game that I thought was a great game when it came out in 1998 was All Flesh Must Be Eaten. Oh yeah. yeah, got my copy. First edition, first printing. Thank yep. you. Yep. There's nothing, not a damn thing wrong with that. Thank you very much. I, I like, I like the, I like the unit system. They were on the whole zombie thing before it became pop culture, and I think they did. It, 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 I'm surprised that when it became the pop culture, they didn't do better. Like it didn't rise up even more. Like it just kind of was flat, you know. Well, they kind of—I know they kind of hit some setbacks because there was there were like three source books. I think this was like in 2000. There were three source books that they had together that were almost ready to go, and then like the their copy editor or whatever, his house was broken into and his computers were stolen, and all the files were on the computer. Well, actually, you know what? That it wasn't the copy editor. That was actually George himself, uh, the That's owner of the right. company. That's right. Yeah. Al. Yeah, because yeah, that was, uh, I think that was out in, oh, where was that? I think it was out in, Cal- was he out in California? I don't, I don't remember where it was, but I remember him telling me, I remember him telling me that story at Gen Con once. Yeah, that that is why I always email two copies of everything I'm working on to myself every night when I'm Because <laughs> it'll be on the cloud. So. Yeah. It'll be somewhere. <laughs> it'll be somewhere, as opposed yeah. to like uh, some crackheads. Oh, I think I can get a rock for this. And you put 300 hours of your life into getting this goddamn project done. You yeah, see, but I like to imagine, though, that the computer got pawned and that the guy at the pawn shop is, like, a, a huge RPG fan and, like, this is his ultimate treasure. He'll never sell that computer because it has RPG source books that only he has in there. Or better yet, he'll now, or well, better yet, that, that, is, that is fantasy role-playing right there. That is, okay? Yeah, I think he got a point there. <laughs> that is some fantasy. Oh wow! But it's but it but it's but it's a nice fantasy, and it you know it's it warmed my heart hearing that. But um, one thing we for one game because uh, then we're gonna wrap up is one game I forgot I forgot to mention because we were speaking about Mad Max was how did we forget about to mention a game by Steve Jackson that oh, was dear. popular for many years? Oh yeah, Car Wars. Car Wars, yeah. which uh, apparently is going to get a resurrection because. Of the Ogre Kickstarter for the the Ogre Deluxe uh, Editor's Edition. Yeah. So that's yeah. that that's that's going to resurface. So that was post-apocalyptic gaming. I think I played it once. You know, back in Car back Wars? in the eighties. Oh, I, I owned way too many sets of Car Wars. I had all of the old cardboard pieces, and I you know, you know, we tried running it, um, you know, at at, at the co- at college, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, gaming groups, gaming societies. But damn, uh, there is a game that really needed to be computerized. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that that game would do well uh, as a 
as a as an, app, as, as an app computer or an app game right now. Yeah. And uh, that's not to mention again electronic gaming. To mention there are so many. There's a lot of uh, you know like Android and iPhone app games that are apocalyptic. You know, there's you know Zombie Gunship. There's a lot of again a lot of zombie ones. You know, Z Day, Z Day Survivor. There's a ton of them out there because again the apocalypse is. Uh, kind of, you know, gone into, you know, pop, not just zombies, but pop culture in general. I think. What was the uh, What was the uh, nuclear war game uh, that you found for the um, uh, for uh, PCs? Uh, it was some. It was like some. Oh, 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 oh. Um, hold on, hold on, everybody. Ow, shit. It's it's really there's a lot there's not a lot of clearance in the in the bunker. At, yeah. Uh, Ground Zero. Uh, you mean this game that uh, probably 2005 came out? You mean DefCon? This Def one, Scott? Con. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Which is basically, if you can see the picture there, it is basically War Games. You are basically war. It's War Games, the movie in a game. You're all oh, the countries yeah. has got the same graphics. Yeah. Um, and, and, that last part of the movie where the game plays, you know, the computer plays all the simulations of oh, how to yeah. fight a nuclear war, and it just keeps coming up, you know, everyone dead at the end. It's all that shit. Now you get to play all that shit, you know. Uh, the only one I remember is all the scenarios had these various things. One of them was called Turkish Surprise. <laughs> I just remember that is that, that kind of like a Turkish delight? I don't know. But... Yeah, I don't know. It just, uh... I'm not sure you're going to be surprised by the Turks. But anyways, um, yeah, it's not delightful. But that so, was yeah, one of the scenarios. Yeah, so DEF CON uh, uh, 2006 that came out. It's still available by, I think it's Introversion intro in, Software, which actually did uh, Darwinia, uh, if you're familiar with that uh, computer game. So it's a, it's a good little game. Uh, I think it's, it's available on Steam now. It's available PC, Mac. It's a fun little game. I mean, I played it for a while. Then after a while, it does get a little like, okay, how many times can I nuke the world? So, <laughs> but um, but it is a cool game, you know. How, but now it makes now it makes. You. How dare you, sir? How many times can I nuke the world? I know, you, I know. You I must know. have played it a shit ton. <laughs> Holy crap! I the did. Shit. I played it a lot. But now you know what? I might want to crack it out again. So, all right. So that's again, folks. This was a. A pretty broad discussion on post-apocalyptic gaming. A lot of us have played some. Some of us hasn't. There's so much. There is so much out there. There was so much out there. Yes, there, there is. I brought a whole stack. Wait, wait. Get him to sh get him to plug his products. Yes. Oh, indeed. I should. Yes, plug. Plug away. Okay. So, uh, got a couple. Got a couple of things to plug. Uh, my most recent book uh, that I've worked on, the Jester Dragon's Guide to Defects, uh, uh, through Skirmisher Publishing LLC, uh, co-authored by myself, Michael Verhola. I did all the illustrations. Definitely check that out on DriveThroughRPG.com. The OGL version's out now. We're going to have a Pathfinder version out very, very soon. We should have print copies. Uh, at Comic Palooza in Houston, Texas, where I'm going to be in two weeks. If you uh, you want to see me in person, uh, also uh, my group Kettlefish Productions. We're going to be doing special events and LARP events at conventions all over the country. So we're going to have uh, we're going to have events at uh, Origins Game Fair. We're going to have events at Gen Con. We're going to have events at Comic Palooza. We're going to have events at Con on the Cob with the uh, which is of course the convention for Andy Hop, who's the uh, creator of the post-apocalyptic RPG Low Life. Uh, and let me see. Oh, and the other thing, I'm also uh, I'm also the co-host of the Sequel Cast. Uh, www.sequelcast.com. Uh, 
Com. It's a podcast where we review every movie in a franchise one movie at a time. Uh, we're doing the Harry. <laughs> oh, oh yes, and actually we that could done... be painful. Oh, it can be. In fact, Planet of the Apes was our hardest one to get through just because of the declining quality of the movies uh, <laughs> and the sheer number of movies. But hey, it's post-apocalyptic. Um, we also oh, and we also covered Mad Max. So we've got two big post-apocalyptic franchises that we did. Uh, we are currently working through the Harry Potter franchise, which is now proving to be the most difficult one to get through <laughs> simply because there's like eight damn movies. Yeah. And, and we'll probably have to do a special on the fan phenomenon. Uh, and uh, my co-host, Matthew Shergi, he is going to be doing a live episode at LeakyCon in Portland. All right. That's going to be in a few weeks. Yeah, well, uh, me and Scott will be seeing uh, William at uh, Gen Con as well, because we're, uh, we're at the Gen Con uh, Game Fair in Indianapolis every year, uh, hawking our Lovecraft-based uh, products. Our tawdry wares. Our tawdry, tawdry wares. Merchandising! Merchandising. Where the real like money I, from the movie is made. And, then, and like I said, uh, William and I are working on a post-apocalyptic game again. As we get a little bit closer and I get to, into production, I'll uh, we'll talk about it so, some more. So we are, you know, we are we're in it. You know, we're really we're really involved in. You know, we're really in the. You know, the essence of the apocalypse. You know, because it's like oh, yeah. we're designing something that's apocalyptic. We talk about it. We live it. We love it. We breathe it. So. All right. Uh, thank you, Will. So uh, you. let's see here. We're going to do our uh, quick round of last words. William, any last words? Uh, last word, like we, you know, we we barely scratched the surface. Uh, although I, without going into too much detail, if you're looking for a really unconventional post-apocalyptic role-playing game, definitely check out Eclipse Phase. This was the coolest thing I found at Gen Con that year. Uh, an apocalypse happened that wiped out 90% of the human population, and all that survived are clones and uh, and post-human organisms that are trying to rebuild what's left of the solar system. Nice. Uh, thank, my, thank you, Will. Scott? Uh, my last word is, oh my god, we're going to do an entire show on Twilight 2000. Possibly possibly two shows. Oh, yeah, we and we're going to do possibly Gamma World again. We're going to be... One per edition. We're oh, doing one, one per edition. <laughs> shit, I, shit, I could do two just on the latest edition and how much oh. I hate it, because I'm yeah, a hater. <laughs> that, that, I don't know if we can handle like two half-hour shows of you stabbing yourself in the eyes with half, a PowerPoint half, half hour shows. What do you hide? These are at least an hour, but uh, <laughs> they're supposed to be half hours. Yeah, we're 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 trying, but not very hard. <laughs> but um, so last words for me again. Uh, I, I don't got really much to add. You know, we've said a lot this uh, this episode. Uh, again, like I'm always telling people, I want you to please be socially media responsible. Okay, if you have if you're watching this and you have friends who uh, like the genre, you know, please. Send them our way. Send them to the podcast. Have them, you know, they can watch it on the YouTube site. They can uh, see it on the on the blog. Follow, like our Facebook page. Go to YouTube. Watch it on YouTube. Like the YouTube, you know, like it on YouTube. You know, all the likes that you make on all these things do help uh, bring bring it up. So you know, sh and also share it. Share the wealth. Let other people know about it. Uh, again, like I promise, I'm still working on getting the audio on the blog and then getting it hooked up to iTunes is just that uh, I've been a bit 
little bit too busy lately. I was away at a show, and I'm moving in like three weeks. So I got a little, <laughs> I got, I got a little bit too much going on to be able to focus on it completely. But once I get uh, settled in, I'm gonna, you know, I, I've enlisted some help with some uh, friends who are also podcasters who've. Uh, you know, done some done the integration with the iTunes so I could get the audio up there for people. So you don't have to be forced to watch all our beautiful faces for an hour. You could just listen to our beautiful voices for an hour. So melodic, melodic tones. So again, share. Let people know. Like. Uh, you know. Uh, get it. Out, get it out there. So, uh, and that's all I got to say for uh, this week, folks. Uh, what are we gonna do next week? You know, I don't know yet. Uh, me and me and Mr. Glancy will talk during a week. We'll make a decision on what we're going to do. But hey, it's a surprise, just like the apocalypse of what we're going to talk about. But you'll, <laughs> but well, you'll know, you'll know before. Uh, well, probably not much uh, after we know. So oh um, God, what's that? <laughs> oh my God, we forgot to talk about pandemic. Well, okay. we'll save uh, that for next time. We'll save it next time. So. Uh, folks, again, uh, this is the Apocalypse Nerd. I want to thank you all for joining us this week, and anybody who's watching on the YouTube channel later, thank you. Thank you, William, for being with us. Uh, I appreciate, appreciate your time. You know, we'll get you on again. Uh, Scott, thank you as always, and uh, thank you, me, because um, I don't know. You're I just think. so awesome. You're I'm so, so awesome. <laughs> I don't know. You're so pretty and awesome. Uh, I know. I just uh, I was just going down the I was just going down the pictures, looking at everybody, thanking everybody. I'm like, Say oh wait, you. that's me. So. <laughs> And and thank your evil monkey. Thank thank the monkey. I swear that thing keeps moving every show. I don't know what's <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But I have uh, an evil I, monkey here somewhere, but now he's hiding from me. Because he my evil monkey scared him. So <laughs> maybe it's an evil monkey. It is an evil monkey, and it's not even mine. I don't know why it's here. But um, <laughs> so anyway, folks, again, thank you very much, and we will see you in our two weeks Monday nights in the wastelands. Thank you very much. Let's see ya. <laughs>